When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, it's news day, but I think the news we're all anxiously waiting to hear is the state of Finlay's gurgling stomach. How's the flatulence, canine-wise? Well, um, it's, it's a bit up and down. I, I went, I've been working in London all week and I came home on Tuesday night and normally it's, where have you been? And he completely blanked me and he completely blanked the Baroness and we were actually very worried about him. He, he didn't move, didn't come up, you know, he, he sleeps normally at the foot of our bed, didn't come upstairs. Um, so yeah, he's not, he's not himself, but oh. I think, I think he's getting better. And it's, and yeah, that's the terrible thing. You know, if it's, if it's a child, at least you can ask them the symptoms and he just, he just looks doleful, which he's quite good at doing. Yeah, but, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty much, his, his, that's his default setting, Kieran. Really. <laughs> yes. <laughs> maybe, maybe he realised that, that Tuesday night's a special night for mummy and daddy. So that's where he's. <laughs> Those were the days. <laughs> it's, it's Newsday, as I said, Kieran, we have a lot of news stories to get through. Um, <laughs> any indication at the end of the season would bring us some respite. It's gone totally out the window. Um, there's some big stories, and I'm afraid there's a couple of teams that have been on our, I was going to say our spreadsheet, which is quite too, but on our radar, that are mm. not getting any better. But first of all, Kieran, um, there were demonstrations by fans at Old Trafford this week, but it doesn't sound like they'd be too upset in the boardroom at the moment. Um, yeah, it's difficult to, to work out what's happening in, in Manchester United, but they, they announced their third quarter results. Mm. And it's it's a proper curate's egg. It's it's good in parts. The the money that the club is generating is much higher than they, they expected, although that's partly due to winning the Rumbelows Cup uh, to getting to the final of the FA Cup. Well, Kieran, I'm going to have to stop you there, Kieran, because winning a tournament 25 years ago or whatever it's been... <laughs> When was it last called the Rumbelows Cup, Kieran? It be the, it's always the, it's always been the Rumbelows Cup to me, or the I, Milk Cup, or, the Milk Cup. Yeah, I still call it the Milk Cup. Yeah, that's it. Doesn't sound like something you want to win, does it? Won the Milk Cup? How old are you? Ten. <laughs> <laughs> so, so on on the back of and Manchester United have an amazing record in the FA Cup of matches drawn at home. Yeah. So you know that that's actually. It's good for them, and it's good for the opponents as well because you get to share the gate receipts. So, so they've been on a, uh, on a on a decent roll in terms of additional matches. Um, so revenues up, wages are well under control. Wages are substantially down compared to the previous season, partly because you know who has disappeared, and it's 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 a bit like Liz Truss. It's a bit as if he's never was never there in the first place. <laughs> it's just been sort of sort of airbrushed out of history as far as this season is concerned. Um, but Cristiano Ronaldo is not there. The players have had uh, substantial pay cuts because they didn't qualify for the Champions League. And like most clubs, the Manchester United contracts are in the main incentivised, which which is a logical thing to do. So you put all of that together, you think, well, well, yeah, revenues up, costs are down. We'd expect to uh, be able to make some money on that. And... They, they still manage to lose money um, because they've invested more money in players and therefore our good, very good friend amortisation has kicked in. Overheads appear to be up because they go, oh, well, we've, we've had all these extra matches at Old Trafford and it's cost us more to host them. Well, yeah, yeah no, no doo-doo, uh, Sherlock. Yeah, that, that's what happens when if you have more matches, you've got more costs. So I, I still find it strange. If, if we go back... To 2013, when Sir Alex retired, um, and if you take the 10 years since then, um, over that 10-year period, Manchester United have made an overall loss of £6 million. 
and you go, this is Manchester United. Yeah, this is this is the club with the, uh, you know, certainly the highest profile as far as Premier League clubs are concerned in terms of sort of you know, global uh, attraction. It, it's not it's not generating as much money as it as it perhaps could do because it's it's not winning trophies you know, with the exception of the Carabao Cup, of course, this season. Um, but you would expect it to be profitable, and you would expect that to funnel through into sort of justifying some of the prices that are being asked. And we've we've seen uh, we are, we're recording this at what half past eight on Wednesday night. We did see a spike in the share price uh, about two or three hours ago when um, there was a report in Bloomberg saying, according to our sources, the Qataris are now very confident of uh, a successful bid. And if Qatar is does have a successful bid, that's very good for the other shareholders in Manchester United, the non-Glazer shareholders, because the Qatari bid is going to buy all of those shares. So, that, so people bought into that. They said, well, if, if we can buy the shares at $23, $24, we think the bid will be 28 to 30 we can make some money on the back of that. Um, my understanding is slightly different. Um, my understanding um, is that the uh, the confidence of the Qatari bid is, is best described as a load of old baloney. Um, and it's uh, it's the Glazer family's uh, hustlers, the Rain Group, just leaking stories to try to generate extra interest and to try to try to drive yet another bid out of Qatar and Sir Jim Ratcliffe. And I think both of the parties are now probably saying, "You've had our final bids, as far as we're concerned. Just get it over with." The whole the whole thing has become. Pretty tawdry. It's taken seven or eight months. We've not got a preferred bidder as yet. Um, it's, it's starting to look a bit like amateur hour, and I don't mean amateur hour as in the Spark song. We all know what that was about. Um, but um, you, you've also got the issue of David de Gea's contract, where if the stories are true, he was offered a pay cut. He went away, thought about it, says, "Yeah, I'll, I've signed my piece of the paper." And then Manchester United say, "Ah, we've decided to give, offer you an even bigger pay cut." And he's going, "Well, hold on, that, yeah, that's that's just that's ridiculously unprofessional." Yeah, if if that is true of the club, um, yeah, we're talking about somebody who's been at the club for um, a long period of time. Uh, he's won the player of the season on regular occasions. Manchester United were more than happy to celebrate uh, a month or so ago that he had more clean sheets um, in the Premier League than any other goalkeeper. And they, they, you know, all, all of these things, which you could say were a positive. Um, and, and now they're just they just seem to be sort of trying to nickel and dime, you know, trying to you know, cut, cut corners here, there and everywhere, with the exception, of course, of the Glazers flying across to uh, watch cup finals. Um, where it's costing them, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds if, if the stories are true, uh, to to have to go and charter flights just just to go and fly, you know, one or two of of the family across for the matches, which are the glamour matches. Uh, it, this afternoon's announcement was odd. I, I mean, like a lot of people, I get my news from you, um, <laughs> for, <laughs> football wise. Every second tweet I get is from you, <laughs> football-wise, and most of my WhatsApp messages. And if only we could share the WhatsApp messages the way we share tweets, Ooh. we'd be laughing. But we'd, it, we'd be in prison. Th- there's no there's no sense. I, I don't know if, if skullduggery is the right word for the rain group here, but it did seem the past three weeks, the mood, the mood music was that uh, Jim Ratcliffe's bid was the serious one and that the Qatar one, you know, which sounds a bit odd, albeit, the, the amount of money that, that is floating around that country, but it seemed that the Qatari bid was was less serious, shall we say? But I mean, if I was Jim Ratcliffe, I'd be saying, I, you, you'd be putting your foot down. You'd be saying, "Come on, the season's about to start. Do you want to sell this club or not?" Because as you say, otherwise, it, it looks like all the Rain Group are doing is trying to manipulate, as you say, you know, nickels and dimes, but an extra million quid on shares or a million quid on the bidding price when this process should have been finished at the end of May. Yeah, there's been a significant lack of professionalism, but I think that is is the Glazers all over. Um, yeah, I'm, I know they're easy to criticise, and at times I've I've defended them. I've said yeah, Manchester yeah. United have had a competitive budget. 
what they've not managed to do is to spend it well. And, and I, I, you can't hold the Glazer family responsibility for signing turkeys. So, you know, because with the exception of Bruno Fernandes, I mean, this, is, this isn't a football show. When was the last player that Manchester United signed and he went, oh, they, they got a good one there? Yeah, you know, I, I, I struggle. Um, yeah, they spend an awful lot of money on players and they go, hey, it's all right. I'm not going to get the money back. I think Harry Maguire, if they'd spent 10 million on him, he'd go, that's a good buy. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the 80 million that's the issue. Um, We're going to leave Man United behind because we do have a lot of stories to get through. Um, And and really, I think we need to deal with the ever-growing excitement amongst our huge global band of listeners who've all been anxiously waiting to find out when the first ever 32-team FA FIFA Club World Cup was going to happen, Kieran, and we can we can stop hopping from foot to foot now, can't we? We we can indeed. Well, we've got the World Cup for Nations taking place in 2026 in the USA, in Canada, and Mexico, and now as a prelude to that, we are having the 32 team FIFA World Club Cup in 2025 in the USA. Um, it's going to involve uh, eight groups of four. Top two in each will go through, and then it's be a bit like sort of you know an old school World Cup that, that we used to associate with with thirty two teams before it's you know before it's now going to get expanded even more. Um, so we'll wait to see uh, a, a couple of things. First of all, twenty twenty five is is a long period of time. When exactly in twenty twenty five? Yeah, because that will also be the first season of the expanded. Uh, UEFA Champions League. So players will be playing more matches in the Champions League. They will then be expected to uh, represent their clubs. Now, who is going to be chosen? I think if you've won the Champions League over the course of the last four to five years, you'll automatically qualify from UEFA. So therefore, I think Real Madrid from last season, Manchester City from this season will be qualifiers. Um, It clearly will be split on a continental basis as well. So you know, some of it could be that uh, you know, one of one or two of the clubs from from Asia and, and therefore Saudi Arabia, given that they've invested a huge amount of money as far as club football is concerned, they could be beneficiaries. Um, at, but if it's going to be at the end of the season, then it's it's effectively going to go through June and July. That's going to have an impact upon the start of the 25-26 season, which is a World Cup year where yeah. you normally try to finish the season early yeah. in order to allow players a little bit of recovery time to, to play in the World Cup. So something has to give. You know, something is, has to be squeezed out here. And, and, and my concern is, um, A, we, we could lose the League Cup and... You know, it, it is quite exciting uh, for you know, it, especially you know, okay. Initially, I think I think there's a there's a bit of there's a bit of sniffiness, but for the smaller clubs, it's an opportunity to make some money. Um, even for the bigger clubs, you know, Newcastle fans absolutely delighted an opportunity to go to Wembley this season, so so they they enjoyed it. Um, so, so either that goes, or will there be further pressure to reduce the size of the Premier League from? 20 teams to 18 or 16 and then you go well hold on you know what happens if you are a supporter of Villa or uh you know or Palace or Brighton because all of a sudden we've got two four you know uh, eight, potentially eight fewer games in the season you've still got to pay the players the same amount of wages as before um uh, because what's going to happen is there's going to be a squeeze where the big clubs want to just play against big opponents in big competitions. Um, and it's difficult to see how the players can play to their maximum capabilities if they've got an expanded Champions League followed by a Club World Cup, followed by 25-26, 25-26 with an expanded Champions League and then a World Cup. So this, you know, and, and if things don't make sense, always goes back to, to Room 101, it's down to control and money. And what you what FIFA wants to do is that they want to control more of club football by having their own competition. And FIFA lose money three years out of four. They only make money in a World Club year. They've seen how much money is made by UEFA. Uh, and they say, I'd quite fancy 
some of that. So it's all very messy. And, and FIFA have also announced that there's going to be, as well as this 32-team FIFA Club World Cup, there's going to be an annual FIFA club competition as well in the interim years. The football calendar just can't cope with all of this. Well, I'll take you back here to Istanbul. Is it two weeks, three weeks ago now? Uh, after midnight, Pep Guardiola, exhausted, being interviewed on BT Sport, swearing his little head off. But and one of the things he was swearing about is the exhaustion of his players and the lunacy yeah. of the amount of football that Man City were being asked to play in any given season. Now, of course, we know that's a corollary of success, but you just wonder mm. what you know, Premier League managers are going to think about this, or managers of clubs, mostly in Europe. So I think a lot of the smaller clubs in Asia and Africa will welcome this as a money-making thing. And, and people will say, well, the fact is Man City would be in America anyway doing some jolly old tour but it's a you know a, a, a tournament with a made-up name you know the Kellogg's Bowl 14 whatever it is where they can send the reserves is, is very different to a yeah. tournament that will take four weeks of the summer when when are players meant to rest and recover so it makes me wonder whether you might see clubs actually refusing to take part or indeed sending reserve teams in which case mm. what's, what's the point of this tournament and how will FIFA make money out of it? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I think, you know, and people say, well, hold on, the players are paid very well. Yes, yeah, no, but, he's that, but that's a completely separate issue. You want to see, yeah, Kevin De Bruyne was knackered. Oh, you know, and it was a totally. tragic tragedy yeah. in, the, in the Champions yeah. League final. Yeah. Um, he's a player I absolutely adore to watch. I don't care whether he's playing for Belgium or Manchester City. He's an artist. Yeah. And he's getting more and more injuries. Um, they're the same sort of you know, soft tissue injuries that, that occur when you are simply putting athletes through too much too often. You, you wouldn't have Usain Bolt being expected to run an extra 10, 100 metres races a year to, to try to break the record because he'd just say, I can't do it. I yeah. focus on yeah. the Olympics or I focus on the, the, on the, uh, you know, the, the, the athletics finals for the, world, for the world championships and so on. And, and that's how you get elite athletes doing elite things. Yeah, talking of Istanbul, Kieran, after the <clears throat> shocking delays, transport holdups, lack of water, heat stroke, etc., I'm sure that Alexander Seferin, the president of UEFA, was quite looking forward to being the first president of UEFA to address the European Football Fans Congress um, until he noticed that it was in Manchester. Yes. Right. When, in which case, he probably pleaded the headaches and tried to send. Um, I, know, I know he apologised to Manchester, uh, the, the city, the fans of Man City for what went on. But did he say anything else of note? I presume he didn't mention the UEFA charges against Man City. And well, those those have been dropped. Remember, it's now the Football Association oh, charges. So, yes, um, yeah, they successfully defended. Uh, or overturn the initial right. I mean, first of all, give him credit for turning up. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, because he did turn up, and I didn't. Um, <laughs> were you were you invited? I think I was invited. Yes, oh, okay. <laughs> but, but I, I, I am working about eight days a week at present. Yeah, and, uh, you would, you would have been, been difficult. You would have been talking to Radio Wrexham or something. I imagine you would have been, right. you'd have been way too busy to go and meet Alexander Seferin. <laughs> Um, but I think he has said some interesting things recently. I mean, first of all, you know, fair play. He, he, he could have found an excuse not to turn up. Um, he did apologise. Uh, he said, yeah, we, we get some things right. We got some things wrong. You know, in, in 2022, if we recall, uh, Russia had effectively declared war on Ukraine. Yep. The final was due to be held in St. Petersburg, and UEFA said, no, we're not prepared to do that. You know, you're, you're a warmongering country. So therefore, they switched it to Paris, and it was a disaster. Yeah. You know, we, we, were, we were very fortunate that there was not more yeah. um, you know, pe people uh, being injured uh, in terms of what happened. Um, they they didn't get it right again. He says we, we need to. Yeah, it's it's a classic sort of corporate response. We acknowledge we've made mistakes. We're going to learn. Well, well on how many occasions do you need to make mistakes before you, you actually? Because if you look at the look at how the uh, the corporate uh, customers were treated, 
they were all very happy by all accounts. So, you know, is it is it a, is it a two-tier UEFA where the focus is on looking after the sponsors who pay a lot of money um, and and the fans, uh, you know, the, the, the regular fans are the ones that suffer. Um, he did point out that both the Europa League and the Europa Conference League went pretty well, uh, but he raised the point of abuse of officials, you know, in terms of what happened to Anthony Taylor yeah. uh, following uh, Mourinho's pretty pathetic behaviour. Yeah, and I'm I'm sort of broadly, you know, I, I, like many people, I was I was very charmed by Mourinho when he first came into the game, but he, he does appear to have turned into a parody of himself. Um, so he says, we need to address uh, respect for officials. We need to address the problems of racism, which are on the rise um, in, in football. Um, and he says, yeah, ultimately, there's a limit to what we can do as an institution. Therefore, it's it's you know it, it's fans turning around and taking more responsibility, and I think a lot of fans do. Um, so yeah, I think it was it, it was decent of him to turn up. He he didn't try to sugarcoat things uh, by by sort of denying that there have been problems in the last two uh, Champions League. I think the next two Champions Leagues are in uh, in Wembley and Berlin, twenty twenty six. Could be outside of Europe. Yeah, I'll say no more than that. Yeah, it certainly seems to be heading that way, doesn't it? Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies head of insight Stuart Dredge on the Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Domestic stories, Kieran. Uh, when we spoke about the good news for Wigan last week, we said that, of course, as soon as one good news story is over, there's another one to step into its place with bad news. And it gives me no pleasure at all to say that the, the pebble mm. that Reading's story started as is unfortunately running down the mountain at an alarming rate of knots, isn't it? And you're I re- absolutely. I, I realise I mixed about fourteen metaphors in there, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you're, you're absolutely right. Um, Reading have been subject to a transfer embargo, first of all for failure to adhere to a business plan. So yeah. they'd agreed with the EFL, this is how much money we're going to spend on X, Y, and Z. They failed to, to monitor it, and you know I, I think the EFL does deserve some credit for holding them to account. Secondly, they've been up on a charge for late payment of wages. So, yeah. so this is as yet um, unproven, but uh, the EFL wouldn't have made the charge. Yeah, the, the evidence is it's one of those things which is a pretty black and white case. It's, you know, I think, yeah, if we look at Manchester City and Everton's charges, I think they could be slightly more nuanced and there's a better... You, you've either paid wages on time yeah. or you haven't. And the third one is for late payment of taxes to HMRC. So we saw that come up on the EFL website. um, And I think that was probably last Friday. And then, um, and I'm indebted to uh, a couple of our regulars who who contacted me about this, and and I don't want to put them in an awkward position, but you know who you are, guys, and I really appreciate it. Um, That they, They showed me that there is a petition to wind up Reading, hmm. which has come from HMRC. Now, the way that this normally operates is that if you are owed more than £750, um, and, and this applies to any creditor, and uh, the other party has not paid you on time, you can petition for that organisation to be wound up. So um, that could get messy. I, I'm just hearing 
too many really uncomfortable stories in terms of Reading. Um, we have been contacted by a Reading supporters group, so we will try to organise a call with them yep. to to get them to explain their position to see the the the, the steps that they are taking. Um, you know, they're trying to highlight uh, Dye's uh, activities and and the things that he has done and the reason why they've got cause for concern. So so we are reaching out to them and, and we'll try to squeeze an interview in. Um, in what will soon be our fourteenth show of the week, uh, <laughs> given the, given the number of, of stories that have been bubbling under, so it's it's not good. Um, the club appears to have a complete lack of leadership and total disregard for the fans in terms of communication. Two questions, Kieran. Did you say uh, somebody could face a winding up order over a debt of seven hundred and fifty pounds? Yes. Yeah, so that's un- I think that's under company law. If you if you have failed to pay on the due date, um, I think you're you, you've got to give you know, a further fourteen days notice or something. But, but you can then petition. Now that does isn't the same as a winding up order being granted or right. a winding up order being heard. But it, it's the starting it's starting the wheels in process. But what was interesting was well interesting for me uh, because of the nerd that I am, when I went onto the website which gave this information, it turns out that Reading have had, I think, three previous petitions uh, for winding up from HMRC, all of which didn't get much further. Now, I think there were two in 2017 and one in 2020 or the other way around. So this is the fourth time that this has happened. The three previous times, the club has paid the tax and it's all sort of gone under the radar. They are under so much scrutiny here from fans, and, and I think this is this is one of the great things. Yeah, we, we do have a reasonably open system of access to uh, legal documents um, and, and legal petitions from the court system. That uh, the, the fans are activists. You know, the fans are trying to protect their club, and they are holding Reading Football Club and and, and Die Long to uh, account. And uh, it's uh, it, it's a good thing because. If they think that they can get away with it, they can't. There's too there's too many sets of eyes on them these days. I, I would like to think, Kieran, that we on this pod have contributed a little to fans becoming activists or more activists in the past three years. But it's just a couple of points. That that 750 figure, that's not a lot of money. I don't know what the gesture's called, Kieran, but you know when you, you put two fingers on your collar and you kind of go, oh, uh, that's exactly what I did when I, you told me you could be wound up for 750 quid. Um, I'm going to have to reconsider my relationship with HMRC. Uh, but secondly, Kieran, how do these clubs, how do the people that run these clubs think they're going to get away without somebody noticing that they haven't paid tax? I mean, we, we saw that with Wigan. We see it with Southend. Do they generally think that if they whistle a happy tune and point in a different direction, people might go, oh, we seem to be okay, because they're going to get found out. And it's, what a, and, and like you say, there's a lack of communication. It's a contempt for fans that they don't say, look, I'm sorry, everybody, there's, there's a problem. You know, it, if you're yeah. in a relationship with somebody, if you live with somebody, and you, you both of you think, hang on a second, we, we, you know, it's like Ali and I, we're both freelance. If, if you look at the diary and you go, hang on, September's not looking good, we might have to do something about that. Uh, did you talk like you, you don't wait until you you've got no money in September and then go well we should have done something about that but that's what these club owners are doing you, you how do, how are they doing it Kieran I just get I'm as cross now as I was in the first few weeks of the pod when all these things were coming as news to me and I should have got used to it now I should be shrugging it off but I just get more and more cross instead of <laughs> less cross <laughs> Um, I think there is perhaps a contempt for the system. There is perhaps uh, sometimes people don't want to admit that there's a problem and they think that yeah, I've done this in other aspects of my life. Pretend there isn't a problem, yeah. hoping it might go away and sort itself out and it doesn't and it becomes a bigger problem. So it could be for this reason. Certainly some of the excuses we heard from Wigan. Um, now, is, is, are you mentioning September, is, is this your sort of coded message to say that you're signing up for Strictly and you're abandoning the podcast <laughs> in autumn. No. Is, is, this, is, 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 is this a revelation that I need to prepare myself for? No, no. I used to be, uh, I was a secret writer on Strictly for a couple of seasons. A couple of seasons. Oh, wow. God strike me dead if I ever say season again. A couple of series. <laughs> yeah, when the, uh, the regular writer simply ran out of puns. 
and they they, <laughs> they they got me into help for a couple of series. Uh, oh my god, I'd love to do Strictly. Even I'd be the first one out, but I'd make enough money to get me through. I'd still do the podcast, and whoever the glamorous Russian person I was dancing with every, every Wednesday morning, be going, "Why aren't we training?" I said, "Because I'm doing a football finance pod." Amortisation, baby. Amortisation. <laughs> that would be the, if there's a song called that. I'm dancing, I'm dancing <laughs> to that. Um, <laughs> uh, I was going to say something really important, then, Kieran, and you've put the idea of Strictly in my head. So there you go. That would be. That's, that's, yes, when I know it's autumn when Strictly's back. Um, so yes, it will come to me. Um, just shortly after BAFTA disappear, it will come back to me, and it'll be really important. And they'll be sorry they missed it. Better news for Cardiff City, Kieran, in the championship. Yes, um, Cardiff City have been subject to a three uh, a three window fee restriction. Now that's not quite the same as an embargo. Um, that has now been reduced to two windows. So that's been reduced. Uh, it's it's the winter window for 22-23, which we have had, and the current transfer window. So Cardiff City will be able to sign players for fees in January 24. They can, however, sign players on loan, and they can sign players on free transfers. Now, the reason why they've been subject to this penalty goes back to one of the the, the saddest stories, which we've, you know, we've yep. had to discuss on many an occasion, yep. um, the, the tragic death of Emiliano Sala. And the ruling was that Cardiff had to pay the French club the initial agreed payment of five million pounds or five million euros. Um, I believe that Cardiff were 53 days late and therefore the EFL, again, who do seem to have, you know, that they are they are wearing their underpants on the outside of their trousers these days. They are holding their members to account, um, which I think is is to be encouraged. And I, and I know exactly what I said there. Um, Sorry. After bye bye. Um, Sorry. It's it's just the fact they've got their pants outside their trousers and they're holding their members to account. Yes. Uh, so. Um, Cardiff have said that there have been extenuating circumstances. The EFL have listened and said, yes, we agree. You've got extenuating circumstances. So that's why Cardiff will be able to join the the fee-paying transfer market uh, in January 24. But they don't have to get approval for free transfers this summer or loan deals. I remember what it was I was going to say, Kieran, about the Reading owners. When you, you said we all have these things where you, you hope it will go away. I mean, that works with a rash, not a £3 million tax bill. <laughs> um, um, another club in the championship, this, this seems like better. I mean, Huddersfield Town ended the season on a high. Neil Warnock is staying, I believe, for another season, and it looks mm. like they've got uh, new owners. Yes, um, and this, is, this is an intriguing one. The American businessman, Kevin Nagel, who 10 days ago admitted... I've never heard of Huddersfield oh, or Huddersfield Town. Really? Uh, has, has now bought the club. Um, but just contrast this position. Ten days ago, he wasn't, he was, effectively, he wasn't, wasn't in the building. He wasn't in the city. He wasn't even in the, 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 the county, by all accounts. He's managed to get a deal through in ten days. The Glazers have sat on their backsides yeah. for seven months. So this is a classic case of the existing owner of Huddersfield Town, who is uh, Dean Hoyle. Um, he had tried to sell the club to somebody else a couple of years ago, and, and that all went wrong. And he came back and he effectively stood in and he covered the, the challenge, financial challenges and said, this is the money I want. Um, uh, this guy, Kevin Nagel, comes in and says to the EFL, I've agreed a price. Here is the money. And the EFL says, yes, you have the money. Owners and directors test quickly passed. Deal goes through in 10 days. So, you know, again, if we if we look at what's happened at Morecambe and at Wigan with Saab Jack Capital, the reason why those deals haven't gone through is when it comes to the show me the money moment, that's when you you really show whether you've you've got it or not, or or whether you are a bit of a fantasist. So um he he has said he wants to change certain aspects of the club. He he wants he's he's certainly saying many of the right things. Um, clearly, I think the Huddersfield fans are, are delighted with the results generated by um, Neil Warnock. 
uh, Kevin Nagel says, yeah, get, get an extra year of Neil. Um, I want us to be more of a community club. That's great. I want to uh, try to expand the club's footprint by having uh, you know, greater in- investment in the women's team. That's great. He also said, I want more events at the ground. Um, and that was, everybody said, yeah, okay, that's right. With the exception of the groundsman, who of course, <laughs> and, and can you imagine a grumpy Yorkshireman groundsman, how he's going to take that news? Oh my God, that's the yeah. holy trinity of grumpy there, isn't it? It um, is. It, 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 it's great that he's making all the right noises. It, it does make me wonder how a man who 10 days ago hadn't heard of Huddersfield or Huddersfield Town is going to get on with Neil Warnock. Uh, yes. <laughs> just, I just imagine this American guy going, why is he Why is he driving a tractor? Why is that guy driving a tractor? Um, uh, our next three stories, Kieran, take us to Newcastle, mm-hmm. and they cover uh, quite a range of topics, don't they? The first one being uh, I, I, a story that I found really odd, considering the money that you imagine the person involved would be sitting on. Yes, um, this is Amanda Stavely, uh, who owns you know, up to 10% of Newcastle. Um, you know, she is a co-owner and she's been in, I think it's fair to say, a fairly uh, vicious now uh, dispute with a, a Greek shipping magnate. Now, they're, they're, every person in Greece who owns a ship is a magnate. You know, it, it, I, I don't, I, I've never heard a Greek shipping owner or sailor they, they, they have to be called magnets that is the that that is the way that it's officially said in, in all uh, in all press releases and so on um so this is a story which uh, broke in the telegraph and it relates to a loan that was made 10 years ago you know, we were talking about reading and uh, you know, 750 quid, which is more than 14 days late, could, could potentially trigger a petition. Now, a petition isn't the same as a winding up order. Um, this is 35 million pounds over 10 years ago. And you, you might, you know, if, if I owned a boat or two um, in Athens, I'd, st- I'd, I'd know if somebody owed me 35 million quid. And, <laughs> and you think I would have probably acted a bit faster. You know, and, you know, uh, Uncle, Uncle Terry's Greek mate, he, be able to help hmm. so 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 this this is a, a very strange one um you know, amanda staveley herself had a 1.5 billion pound lawsuit against barclays which she was not successful in so you know, i think it could be that he was waiting to see what the lie of the land was that um and there have been some issues with uh mike ashley as well so so there's, there's a few sort of sort of rumbles of discontent in terms of money. Um, it looks like Amanda Stavely has also been involved in uh, bringing peace between the, the warring set factors in golf. Uh, so she, she, she's certainly yeah. um, been keeping her hands fairly occupied in terms of sporting issues. Um, and she, you know, in, independently uh, wealthy to a certain extent in her own right, but, but nothing like some of the billionaires that we've been talking about. So, yeah, Ultimately, this has got nothing to do with Newcastle United, except if she were to lose the case, would it mean she might have to liquidate some of her other asset portfolio, which could potentially include shares in Newcastle? So the amount outstanding at present is £36,841,287, on which interest is accruing daily. Because that and that wow. that would certainly, uh, from some of uh, the people I know uh, from days gone by, they like to charge interest on a daily basis, and it can it can rack up quite quickly. So yeah, it, it's it's messy. Um, you know, it, it takes a little bit of the shine. Yeah, you know, what Newcastle have done in qualifying for the Champions League is absolutely fantastic, and uh, you know they did it without spending. Uh, the same level of money as we saw at Everton in such a sh- short period of time. They, they've made some pretty good decisions, I think, at boardroom level. Um, and you don't want, uh, you know, if I was a Newcastle fan, I, I wouldn't want you know, one of the reasons, what contributory impact back to the success, which has been uh, Amanda Stavely's leadership, to be to, to be subject to distractions. And I think that that's the best you can say about it. It's a distraction, mm. nothing to do with the football club, but it's a lot of money. Uh, a friend of mine made a great deal of money out of selling uh, fridges and freezers. So obviously we call him the fridge magnet. 
Um, which he, he, he never took, he never took kindly to. I would have loved to have a nickname like that. Um, we've talked long and hard before, Kieran, about the fact that Mike Ashley was, in in some strange way, actually a responsible club owner, except when it came to the infrastructure. Um, mm. And of course, Newcastle already have a, a massive fan base, both here and globally and it looks like they could be developing the stadium for the first time in some time yes um yeah anybody that's been to a match in newcastle either if if you're a fan of the club yourself or if you're an away fan you will know just how central st james's park is to the city um it does look as if there is an opportunity i think the, the club uh, has access to develop um the the east stand um, they have sold out as far as season tickets are concerned. They will sell out every match. There's a real feel-good factor in the city. Um, but going forwards, if Newcastle United are going to compete uh, against the rest of the, the elite, um, you know, we know that Manchester United have got a capacity of you know, 74,000. Arsenal's is 60, Spurs 62. Even West Ham have got you know, low 60s. Uh, Manchester City is 54 being expanded to 60, Anfield 54 being expanded to 60. So so Newcastle need to keep up with the Joneses uh, because under the the new variant of financial fair play, the amount of money you can spend in wages is linked to the amount of revenue that you can generate and therefore increasing capacity of football grounds is one way of allowing your wage uh, ceiling to be increased. So um, I think if this goes ahead, you know, the funding of it, that won't be a problem. Um, selling tickets, that won't be a problem. Um, so it's really a case of you know, A, getting planning permission and then B, just deciding just how big can we go uh, as far as St. James's Park is concerned. And it's, and it's one of those stadiums which, um, you know, in terms of there's always a concern can the surrounding infrastructure cope? Um, I think that is the case as far as Newcastle United are concerned, because it's not an out-of-town stadium and people can dissipate fairly quickly. You wouldn't want to be the councillor that vetoed the planning permission for that, would you, really? Or, um, or the ex-councillor. Or the ex-councillor, indeed. And while we're at it, Newcastle Council, perhaps we could get a petition to lower the away end just a touch. Just, just a smidgen. I, I, I'm not a fan of having to abseil down after losing a game. The final story, Kieran, is in some ways the most remarkable, and it features Newcastle's women's team. Yes, uh, you know one of the things that we have seen uh, and which we didn't really see under uh, Mike Ashley um, is that Newcastle have formed a women's team. Um, they are presently in the third tier, but they are going for it. So the side is going to turn fully professional, um, which I think means they'll be able to attract players um, locally and from other areas as well so that they they clearly want to get into the WSL as, as quickly as they can um, and it, it's an opportunity to you know to to recruit players to create employment um, and for for Newcastle fans you know who, who want to go and watch the women's team and I know that it's going with people who say oh you know it's 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 the two woke boys trying to to force this down we're, we're not trying to force this to anybody if you want to go watch it go and watch it Here's a suggestion: Give it a try. Yeah, and and uh, you will be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, well, I've I've enjoyed going to to men's matches and women's matches, and I'm not forced to go to any of them. Well, I'll tell you what my problem with this is, Kieran. I mean, it, it's it's fantastically uh, ambitious and confident, and it's obviously good for women's football. But it worries me in terms of the future of other teams in mm. the regions that we've talked. Before, yeah. and we talk in the book about Durham, who a very successful, very well run, very financially sustainable uh, team just down the road. And even with my limited uh, knowledge of geography, Kieran, I'm confident to say that Durham is just down the road from from Newcastle. And this is a, a worrying development for them. That's that's my that's my issue. We, we're increasingly seeing the top four mm. clubs in in the WSL 
dominating the game in terms of money and in terms of um, media attention. And you can't help but think that in five, ten years' time, when Newcastle women are inevitably in the WSL, that that's going to be a bit of a pain in the ass for Durham. It is. I think Durham, what they can do is that they can position themselves as being an alternative to Newcastle in exactly the same way that Lewis, which is, you know, five, six miles away from the Amex Stadium. You know, they position themselves as being a different cultural version of a club. um, And the women's team do very well on the back of that. Um, So... Money will dictate an awful lot and Newcastle women's team will be able to take benefit of the the benevolence of you know, the owners in terms of being able to provide funding. Um, and I'd expect them to go through the divisions on that basis. Um, and I absolutely share your, your concerns that um, it would be great to have more competitive balance in the women's game than we perhaps do see in the men's game um, in, in, in many aspects. Um, but that's a problem and that's an issue where people are aware of it. And, and I think they are trying to come up with some form of solutions. At the same time, I'm fully in, fully take the view that, you know, elite female athletes in football should be able to earn as much money as they can. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, you know the the average salary of uh, a, a women's team uh, is is twenty seven thousand pounds a year. You know that's that's not uh, you know if you're for an athlete when you've got a short career, that that's not over attractive. Now, admittedly, we there are some players on ten times that, but they tend to be the very elite players in the women's game. What uh, the hope is, of course, Kieran, that women's football becomes big enough, successful enough that it can sustain several clubs in the northeast and and not just one. But again, there is that nagging worry that but it, you know, everything's heading for the top rather than trickling down, as you would hope. And still on women's football, Kieran, somebody has called for a European-wide hard salary cap in the game. Yes, um, this, this is intriguing. This has come from the head of group planning, at Manchester United. Now, Manchester United didn't have a winning women's team. I think it was four or five years ago, and, and they've done extremely well. Um, you know, again, uh, leveraging on the Manchester United brand. They went straight through the championship. They got into the Premier League. This year, they did extremely well. You know, they, they only picked at the post by, by Chelsea. Um, but I think they've, they've lost a couple of players, perhaps some of their most high-profile players. Um, I think one of them may be on, on their way to Arsenal, for example. And, and Arsenal, have had, Arsenal, I think, have averaged 14,000 this season uh, in yeah. terms of women's games, which is which is superb. And uh, you know, that's on the back of, I think, uh, quite a few games, three or four games now taking place um, at the Emirates and getting record crowds. Um, so, yeah, a, a hard salary cap and European-wide, um, I, I, to which my response is, well, Good luck with that. I'm not sure that you necessarily thought that through because if you've got a hard salary cap and you've got different countries in Europe with different tax systems, you know, if we set a, a hard salary cap of, let's say, €80,000, then the consequence of that is that you're going to have some players earning on a net basis more than others. That, that door slamming was, was the Baroness bringing me a pack of Smarties. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Things have changed since the old days. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I thought it was. Um, <laughs> interestingly, Thinley has no worries about keeping quiet during the pod. That's why I knew it was the Baroness because she was trying to keep yes. quiet. Whereas Finley was just headbutted it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So that that's that's where we are. Um, it, it it looks as if. Manchester United have realised that if you're going to have a successful women's team, it's going to run at a loss. How can we make sure that we don't run at a loss? Um, let's try to have a salary cap. Uh, but this, again, going back to yeah, one of our earlier stories, why are they saying this when we don't know what the reaction of the prospective new owners yeah. of Manchester United yeah, yeah. is going to be? It, it's just further evidence of a lack of joined-up thinking 
at the club. And I'm, I'm not here to you know, to criticise uh, you know, the Glazers or yeah, because I think Richard Arnold is is a is in 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 the main a big step up on Ed Woodward from from what I hear. Uh, but there's now seems to be a few stories you go that they just don't seem to have worked out what their strategy is. And mm. strategy is all about having a, a long-term vision. Uh, our next story, Kieran, takes us back to Cardiff City. Um, a, a lesser pod would have done both Cardiff stories together in the same way <laughs> the same way that we did three Newcastle stories together. We don't work like that, Kieran. We, we, we have a kind of jazz approach to this sort of thing. We, have, <laughs> we wouldn't want the Cardiff fans to disappear thinking, well, they've done all the Cardiff stories. Um, we've talked a lot recently, Kieran, about clubs issuing new shares. Mm. But I think in, in this occasion, I, I'm not sure what the exact technical term is, but I think it's taking the piss. Is is that is that an official accounting term? I, I think I think this is yes. And the reason <laughs> the reason why we're having this discussion is, um, and I, I love Companies House, and I I, I actually. Um, wrote for the company's house blog that's how i roll kids um, <laughs> a few months ago because they said um they they like us because we've made company's house a bit cooler than they used to be oh my god um, have we yes i know <laughs> how, how cool was it that's a, it was a low bark here and let's be fair <laughs> yes we've, we've made company's house cool oh. um but what Cardiff have done, and this is an issue I'm going to take up with companies, that's because they don't use thousand separators. So trying to work out how many shares they issued a couple of days ago when I'm having to go, you know, I'm looking at the tiny screen and trying to divide my, my zeros into threes. Uh, but it looks like they've issued um, 1.74 billion. So that's... Billion? Uh, uh, billion, yes. So that is... Um, 1,740 million shares for wow. one penny each. So that right. works out as 1,740 million times one pence means 17.4 billion pounds. So I'm not sure whether that is fresh money or whether it is Vincent Tan writing, converting some loans, but it's uh, uh, there, there are some fans of other clubs who get very excited about huge share issues and they refer to them as confetti shares and worthless shares. Um, I, I think you know, the number of shares that Cardiff City now have in issue is, is just uh, gazillions. Um, <laughs> but it, it, is, it is indicative of a trend. And um, what we've had in addition to Cardiff issuing shares is, is my... My hotline, you know, it's a bit like the it's a bit like the the bat, uh, the, the bat cave uh, display. Remember when we used to have that light which would go on above Gotham City? Yeah. I have a special uh, a, a special account at Company's House which alerts me whenever a company issues a set of accounts. Uh, and, and by the way, Thames Water. I've got my eyes on you at present, but that's for a separate <laughs> subject. Um, yes, Thames Water, for people who don't know, uh, is, is in danger of collapsing under its own weight. So I, I, I was checking their accounts this morning, and they have the gall to be located in uh, in their offices, which is called Clearwater Crescent. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, you lying toads, what you've been pumping out, you absolute lying toads, but we're, we're, that's a separate issue. Um, but we've seen Morecambe, which goes back to some of the issues we've had with uh, Sarbjet, Sheffield United, Swansea, Barrow, Oxford United. They are all issuing shares over the, the last few days. And people are saying... Why, why shares and why now? Um, and I think there are a couple of contributory factors here. First of all, um, it's we're recording this on the twenty eighth of June, so you've got the June payroll to deal with. Now, how many matches have been played by Morecambe and Sheffield United and Swansea and Barrow and Oxford United in the last month? Zero. Yeah. So, can you see football is a strange industry in the sense that the money going out is reasonably constant. Yeah, you've got to pay your monthly insurance premiums and your monthly uh, rates bills and your monthly wages uh, and so on. But the money that comes in, the cash that comes into football clubs is actually quite erratic. It's, it's Football is, uh, you know, we talk about a football season, but from a cash flow position, football is also a seasonal business. So clubs at, at times 
are in significant need of cash. You can't go to the banks because the banks will just laugh at you. They won't lend you money. So therefore, clubs are going to their owners to say, look, we've got, we've got wage bills to pay. We've got other bills to pay. And that's why we're seeing a lot of owners bring money into clubs. The other reason is that um, in the, th these are all EFL clubs, in the EFL, the, the first 24 million pounds over a three-year period from share issues counts towards financial fair play. And if you're in League One and League Two, for every 1,000 pounds that an owner brings into a club, you're allowed to increase your wage bill by a thousand pounds. So if you've got a manager who wants a, a, an enhanced budget, or if the owner's saying, I'm feeling lucky this summer, I want the club to go up, I want the club to be more competitive, we are seeing uh, more money being pumped in because it allows the clubs to address financial fair play issues. Could it be seen, Kieran, in any way responsible to pay the wages on a monthly basis by a, a share issue? To pay wages, yeah. You, so you said so. The, you said that some of these clubs have got the payroll coming up, so that might be a reason why they've issued new shares to pay the June wages. W would it be feasible to do that every month and say this is what we're going to do for the whole season? Um, it it would be. Um, it would certainly work in leagues one and two. Um, the issue is uh, that the owner would have to have the money in the first place to ah, be able to right. fund okay. effectively a, 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 right. full, uh, a full year's worth of wages. Um, and yeah, some owners are saying, yeah, hold on, yeah, we've got ticket sales, we are, have got the TV deal kicking in, um, and therefore we, we need to use alternative uh, forms of revenue. Uh, just on Companies House, Kieran, what's their issue with putting a little comma every three noughts? Well, I, I I don't know. I mean, uh, I I will I, I will send them a not a strongly worded email because we're in good terms, but I'll, I'll send them an email to say, um, can you just make it easier for us to read? Um, no, yeah, we do love you. you. You are cool. Yeah, or perhaps or perhaps they are being cool. You know, you go into restaurants these days and you see see a menu and points, it's yeah. the price is nine point five pounds. Yeah. Okay, well that, that, that gets me twitching. Um, well, so, even, even worse, Kieran, there's a couple of restaurants my my way. They don't even put the pound. It's just 9.5. Mm. And you go, what am I supposed to do? Make an offer? You know, the best way to deal with Companies House, Kieran, is to send them a lovely email saying, Kieran here, how are you? How's Shirley? Good. Pleased to hear it. And just say, I haven't got an issue with it, but I've been working with this idiot on this pod, and he's asked this really dumb question about little commas every three zeros. So I just thought I'd pass that on. So then they'll have an issue with me, Kieran, and not with you. Right. We'll see how we get on. Okay. Watch this space, listeners. Watch this space. <laughs> so I recognise that tone of voice, Kieran. That's that's one the Baroness has told me about when I've in a, <laughs> <laughs> implied criticism of Company's House. Suddenly, right, okay, right. Oh, that's my response. Is why don't you marry Company's House? In? We've got <laughs> uh, we've got three stories left, Kieran. One of which uh, will take us to the football ground closest to my home. But the first of which takes us to, I believe, a country we've never dealt with before, and that's Tunisia. Yes. Um, this is all about the uh, team called uh, Gardimau. Hmm. And this is a Tunisian club which has been in existence for 100 years, represents a local town. That's great. And the sad news is, and I think this is... Uh, to do with a much broader issue, socio-economic issue, um, that's affecting the whole world. The reason why the club has had to close down is because it cannot keep hold of its players uh, because of migration. Uh, okay. They are trying to get out of Tunisia. The Tunisia coast is a is is a pretty popular starting point for migrants, yeah. and they've lost thirty two of their best players simply because they can't afford to 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 pay them very much. And therefore, these young men are going to Europe in seek in you know to seek a better future, um, and yet yeah, this is sort of you know the, the unseen costs of what is a global migration issue, which is to be discussed on other podcasts than this one. It is, but it, you know, it's, it's a sort of detail that would never ever occur to me. The, this 
terrible human migration that's going mm. on. Terrible in terms of what's happening to the people attempting to get here is what I mean, not the fact that they are attempting to get here. But it has a knock-on effect, of course it does, on the local economies that they're leaving behind. And of course it does on on football clubs. Um, we've talked again a lot recently, Kieran, about how fans... Uh, are, not just nostalgic for kits anymore, but actually nostalgic for sponsors. Sponsors, uh, iconic sponsors that were sponsoring a club at an iconic time. Um, And Southampton fans may be pleased to hear this news. Yes, this is one of my uh, favourite sponsors, Draper Tools. I've actually got a Draper... I still have a Draper Tools toolkit purely because I always remember them in the days of sort of... David Armstrong, who I always yeah. thought was a fantastic player, um, and uh, wearing that that uh, particular brand, and it and it was great. Um, but they they can't afford to, you know, Southampton have been relegated to the Championship. They're going to be the back of shirt sponsor because that will be a cheaper deal. And you know, I, I don't know who their front of shirt sponsor will be. I suspect it will be a generic. Uh, gambling company who will offer more money, but yeah, we covered that story at ad infinitum. Um, but I, I just think it's a, it's a great name to have back in football. Well, I mean, um, Draper Tools, retrospectively, their marketing department will be delighted to hear that you bought a set of tools off the back of them sponsoring Southampton back in the day. Yes, yeah, it, which shows which shows the power of advertising and also having a, a good relationship with a brand because that was sort of a you know, a time in football where. Uh, you know the football was quite good. Uh, uh, you know we're not we're not over keen on Southampton in Brighton, but I, I quite like some of. I thought Southampton used to play really good football, and they had some really good players at times. Yeah. Um, having said that, the marketing sponsorship doesn't always work. So I've never once tempted to go to Manbet X. Uh, good. The last story, Kieran, <laughs> came as a bit of a surprise. <laughs> Where I South London is a bit of a village, uh, Palace. It's not a club known for keeping secrets. <laughs> so this last story, much as I love it, came somewhat out of the blue, but it's a, it's a biggie, isn't it? It is. Um, and I think it's a really positive story yeah. as well. Um, so Croydon Athletic are going to be taken over by Stormzy and Wilfred Sahar. Um, I think Stormzy and, has and, done... And, and Danny the Kitman from Palace. And Danny the Kitman from oh, Palace. Danny the yeah. Kitman. Um, so... You know, it, it's it's a classic case of a rising tide lifts all ships, and we've got three people increasing the level of attention. Um, you know, this story broke. I think it was earlier, to, certainly over the last twenty four hours. Yeah. I've already been on the radio in Northern Ireland wow. discussing the story and the impact. Um, and uh, it would it would have been a, it's a far bigger story than if you know, a local business had done this. Stormzy. Is very proud of his South London roots. The same for Wilfred Zaha. I'm sure Danny the Kitman has got affections for the area as well. Um, and, and it's great to see local people saying, I want to put something back and I want to help to give people opportunities. We all know the difference that local football can make in terms of identity, in terms of giving young people a sense of purpose. You know, if there's the opportunity to to use some 3G pitches yeah. for extra training facilities and so on when yeah, yeah, when the match you know, when matches can't take place at weekends. Um, I think it's a fantastic story. Yeah, some people be saying, oh, they're just trying to go and take a leaf out of uh, McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' no. book. This, this isn't that case because you know, McElhenney and Reynolds operate at a different global level, I, I think it's fair to say, in the world of TV and Hollywood. And what I think they've done for Repsom is absolutely fantastic. But theirs was very much you know, a strategy of this is what we're going to do. We're going to embed ourselves as part of the brand. I, I think what, what we're going to see from Wilfred Sahar and Stormzy and Danny the Kitman is they'll provide funding that, you know, I think we'll see an increase in crowds because people might popping down to go and watch Croydon Athletic play in, you know, just in case, you know, Stormzy might be here this weekend. And, and, and I think he's absolutely brilliant. And I'm not trying to do this to be down with the kids in terms of music. He's just a good guy. Yeah. Uh, Wilf already owns a club in uh, the Ivory Coast, uh, co-owns Great. with, his, with yep. his brother, which he bought because he wanted to put something back into... Uh, the community from which he his family originated, 
Stormzy is always talking about his pride for Thornton Heath and wanting to give back to the community that that grew him. So this is not this is not a vanity project. Danny the Kitman is one of the nicest people I've ever met and was without a doubt probably the most popular man at Sellers Park. The players in particular love him. He was at Fulham before Palace. He's just one of the the good guys. So I, I imagine it's it's going to be him that, that does the day-to-day running of Croydon and, and hopefully managing. I can't wait to see a picture of Danny in between Wilf and Stormzy. But <laughs> it's, it's a really odd thing here, and I've never known Palace fans more excited. I mean, the, the news this week that Roy was going to be our new manager, Hodgson was going to stay on as manager, was totally blown out of the water by this story. And I think Croydon Athletics crowds are going to double next year. There's so many Palace fans already are saying... Well, yeah, we'll go down when Palace are not playing. We'll go down to Croydon. Yeah. Midweek games, we'll, right. we'll go down to Croydon because yeah, Palace are Croydon's club in a strange yeah. sort of way. That, that's the, the Croydon is the epicenter of the community that Palace represents, and um, yeah, p- people love this story. And and like you say, everyone Palace fans, yeah, a lot of non-Palace fans look at Wilf and think of him as a grumpy diver. He's not. Palace fans know the extent of the community work that Wilfred does. Everybody in this area knows what Stormzy does. So this is a it's a real old fashioned feel good story. And it's hasn't taken them that much money to take the club over. So it's it's a it's a great way to end the pod, Kieran. So thank yes, you thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that'd be very kind of you. You can go to patreon.com slash price of football to do that. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. We'll be back on Monday with our next questions pod. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. But not before I remind you, that tomorrow we have one of our extra interview pods with Mark Ashton, Chief Executive of Ipswich Town. And it's I, I know I say this every time, but it's one of the best interviews we've done. It's fascinating and insightful. So, Kieran, off you go. Well, thank you to everybody at Patreon. We really appreciate your your contributions to, to the podcast. Um, there's there's other ways in which you can support the show and you know Patreon you can, you can get the benefits of no adverts and so on but uh, if, if you, you know I appreciate that, that times are tough and also you know people say well why should we pay you know it's entertainment and we we we, we turn up and we listen to the adverts and so on but there's another way that you can support the show and and that's that's to give us a review helps us in the charts helps us with credibility you know in, in terms of the football industry people say well yeah yeah they, they this is what they do and this is what people think that they do um by all accounts as far as the algorithms and uh the, the impact that having a review has um it's it doesn't matter what you write so you could even say you would rather have the show presented by Stormzy and Pauline Calf, <laughs> one of my favourite ladies from Manchester of all time. Pauline Calf was, I actually she was quite sexy. Which <laughs> I, I I wrote I wrote some of the stuff as well. But uh, oh, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote some of the Paul Pauline Calf stuff, but I I preferred Pauline to Paul. I thought was such, yeah, so did I. Yes, but it was slightly disconcerting how. Uh, anyway, <laughs> bye everybody. <laughs> bye. I'm for the